We are in the last sermon of this series in the book of Jonah. Um, show of hands, how many people uh, for the first time, this is like one of their first times really kind of diving into the book of Jonah in this way? Anybody? That's awesome. So, so cool to hear. Um, I've been excited about this book for about six months and to get to do it now. And so we're coming to the end. We're coming to that spot. And as I was thinking about where we are, uh, I just kind of, my mind moved towards, I love, I love stories. I love hearing good stories. I love seeing characters unfold. Um, and, I, and that's probably why I like movies so much. I really do like movies a lot. But we all know that not all movies are created equally, Right. Amen to that. Some hit harder home than others, and some should never be made. But a good movie is a movie that makes you think, right? It's a movie that kind of hits where you are in your life, and it starts making you dwell on things that you weren't going to dwell on before you started watching that movie. Sometimes a really good movie frustrates you a little bit because it asks the questions that are so hard you try to avoid them. So there's this movie called Inception uh, that came out a while ago. It's, it's a movie that, that talks about dreams and reality, what drives us, what motivates us. It talks about forgiveness, but, it, but it's blurring the lines between dream and reality all throughout the movie. And you're always trying to like guess, where am I in the movie? Where are the people in this movie? And the ending of this movie is actually super frustrating. If you, if you go all the way to the end, it ends, you're like, Really? That's how you're going to end this? Like that, it makes no sense because what you have is there's this really uncomfortable moment where Cobb, the main character, he has this thing called a totem and it's a little spinning top and he spins it and it tells him if he is in the real world or the dream world. And if it falls over, he's in the real world. And if it keeps spinning, he's in the dream world. And he gets to this point in the movie without spoiling anything where he's going to get the thing that he's wanted for the entire movie. And he spins his totem and then he sees the thing he wants, and he walks towards the thing he wants, and you're watching the top, and it's like, oh, it's starting to go. And then they stop the movie. You're like, are you kidding me? Why would you, like, is, is he dreaming? Like, you just don't know. And you're like, that just messes with you. And you're like, why are we talking about Inception? Leo is so good. <laughs> no, it's because this is the book of Jonah. This is where we are. The book of Jonah messes with us. It gets in our lives. It gets in our head. It gets in how we behave in the world. And that's kind of where we are right now. It's meant for us to look at our life. And it's meant for us to ask the bigger question that this book actually ends with. And so what I'd love for you to do, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. You can follow along on the screen. You can use a device. If you need a Bible and you're new here and don't have one, please grab one of our free Bibles to take and to utilize. Here we go. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. 
Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, you do well to, do you, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that as we step into just the ending of this story, uh, that you would allow us to have your eyes that we would have your heart in this moment. That as that question resonates in our lives, that you would allow us to be honest with ourselves. That, Lord, maybe I might be pushing a little bit today, but it is only because of your word and your love for us that you pressed into us. I ask that you would remove anything that would be a hindrance from this message. I ask that you would work amongst your people I ask that you would change people's hearts and lives and minds today. We love you, Jesus. I pray all these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. So, as we jump into our next section today, we have just seen uh, Jonah is going to give his emotional response to the men and women of Nineveh having God relent of the judgment that he was going to put on them. And it says very quickly that he was displeased exceedingly displeased, which made him very angry. So not really the response that you would think for a giant revival. He, he wasn't excited about that. That was not good for him. The word displeased that's used here is literally translated as evil behavior. And I wrestled with that this week. because I was like, That's just such a weird way for that word to be translated and what it means. And so as I started to look at it, this is really what that means if you use that word in that way. That it was a great evil to Jonah of what had just happened and it made him furious. That what God just did was a great evil to Jonah. Meaning that he said that what God did was evil for him. That's what he's saying in this moment. And this section that we move in today is going to start to highlight the stark contrast between God and Jonah, that they are diametrically opposed in how they respond in this situation, meaning that God forgave and relented in his anger, and Jonah did not relent and grew in his anger. That's where he stands in this moment. And so once again, we come to this place where Jonah is going to pray to the Lord. And it's mirroring chapter 2 when he was in the belly of the fish. And here's how the kind of the pattern goes. It says that Jonah's going to pray, and then we hear Jonah's prayer, and then God answers. That's the reoccurring theme that's mirroring chapter 2 that's going on right now. Now, some of you may have noticed that I have been a little hard on Jonah, and I have alluded to how broken he really is. And you're like, I think you're not being really cool to Jonah. 
I think you're being a little unfair. He's a prophet of the Lord. Some things happen, and you're like, maybe you feel that way. Well, here's the thing. I have alluded to it because I've read the whole book. I understand the ending, and I wanted to start to see this unfold, and here's where we are today. Today we are going to see the gut-level response of Jonah. He is going to hold nothing back with God. And he's going to say, this is exactly how I'm feeling, and this is exactly why I did what I did. So the cat's out of the bag. And I'll say this, there, there's a lot of sad passages in the Bible. And you see the brokenness of man. You see how far we can become depraved. We can see how hate builds in our hearts. And this is one of those sections where you're just like, I, I, I was writing, I'm like, it just, I told my wife, well, I, it's just sad. It makes me sad. And it's not just like I feel pity just for him because I know that I'm just a few steps away from being there as well. See, we're meant to relate to Jonah. We're supposed to understand Jonah. And what's really sad, I think, that, that, that really hurts me is that I look at it and I go, this is the guy who knew God. This is the guy who spent time with God, that God spoke with him, that he was kind of known as, this is the voice of the Lord, the Lord saith. He would know who God is, so you would expect that he would look the most like God out of anyone in the story, but he doesn't. And we we can even see that the man or woman of God can move to this same level. And verse 2 is what it is. I want to just read verse 2 again so we can really get it. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Like, this is why I left. I know you. I know exactly who you are. He, what he said about God is 100% accurate. He's like, I understand that you are going to do this. I know that you're gracious. I know that you're merciful. I know that you're slow to anger. I know you're full of love. And I know that you actually do want to relent from disaster. Translation, I knew you were going to forgive them and bring them back to you. I don't want them to be saved. That's pretty dark. Like, you see, he was never concerned about being afraid to preach to his enemies because they were going to, like, martyr him or kill him. That's not why he was afraid. That wasn't his concern. He, he wasn't uh, concerned of how long it was going to take and the dangerous 500-mile journey that it was going to take to get there. He wasn't concerned that he was going to get caught up in the destruction of the judgment. That's not his concern. His biggest concern was that he was afraid that God would be who he has always been. And that he would show them love, compassion, grace, and mercy to those that repent from their sins. And Jonah knew this because that's what God has done to the people of Israel over and over and over and over again through history. And what Jonah was doing is he was trying to continue the death sentence for those individuals. It would be like if the governor signed a pardon for someone on death row who was about to be executed. And, that, and you had the letter. And all you had to do is take it to the warden. But because you disliked that person, you just decided you were going to stick that in your pocket and forget about it. That's what he was doing. 
That's how wicked and evil he had gotten to in his heart. And what we see in this story is maybe the most evil part of this story is not the sailors and it's not Nineveh. It's Jonah. And it says that he is angry and he's like, God, kill me. What is he saying? I'd rather die than see my enemies saved and live. That's where he's at. That is about as honest as you can get with God in that moment. And I tell people all the time, I said, you know, God can handle what you need to tell him. God, if you need to go to God, God can handle your anger, your frustration, your misunderstanding. He can handle it. He wants you to come to him and be, be real with him. He really wants your heart. He wants you to be real, to have your heart exposed. And so in this moment, that's exactly what's going on with him. But I tell people, if you're going to be real with God, you better be willing to hear what God has to say to you after you're real with him. That he has words for you. And that's exactly what he does. He has words for Jonah in this moment. And, he, and, and God just asked really, really, really easy. Do you do well to be angry? And you're like, that's a weird way to phrase that. It is a weird way to phrase that. That's why I gave you another translation that might be easier to understand. The NLT, the New Living Translation, would say it this way. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Do you have the right to be angry about this situation? Now, does God strike him down for being so rude and angry and sinful and disrespectful? No. Actually, what we see is that God engages him, that he presses into his heart the very thing that he's just exposed to God in that moment of frustration. God engages him. He presses in. And it's an example of how God deals with us. He pursues us. He's modeling what a good father is supposed to do for his children. That when he sees a child hurting, that's wayward, that he chases after, pursues, and engages with where they are to teach them, to grow them, and to love them. See, this is us, right? This is what God did for Nineveh, but this is what he did for us. We were far from God. He calls us to repent from our sins. If we place our life in the life of his son, Jesus, and if we do that, then our sins will be forgiven and we can have that relationship with God. It's the very same thing that we're seeing mirrored in the very middle of the book with the fish, right? Where did salvation come from? It came from Jonah being inside a vessel of salvation, which was the fish. We must be in a vessel of salvation to be saved from death, which is Jesus. That's exactly what's going on here. It's exactly what Jesus did for anyone that would call the name of Christ, they would be saved. So what does Jonah do to God's question? He gets mad and leaves the city. He's like, I'm out of here. There. Doesn't answer God. And he goes to the east side of the city, this elevated area, to get a view of what's going to happen to the city. And here's really what he's hoping for. Maybe, just maybe, God will kill him still. 
Like, that's what he wants. He's hoping that God will change his mind again and kill them. You shouldn't be like, I really hope that they'd get saved. No, I really hope that they'll die. That's where he's at. That God would still just not forgive them. And we see that Jonah thinks that he should be judge and jury. That he's decided what's right and wrong. That he knows what's best. Now he goes out to the desert. If you ever spent any time in the desert, the desert's hot. Just newsflash, it's really warm there. Uh, the sun is miserable, and there's not a lot of shade. And so he goes out into the desert, and he makes this kind of booth for himself, kind of like a makeshift tent, if you will. Now, if you've ever gone camping, and you've made a tent, and you go, to get out of the heat, you go in a tent, you can't decide if it's more miserable inside of the tent or outside of the tent. Like, is it better to roast and hot box in here, or should I go out and get out of, into the sun? Like, it's, it's hard to know. Well, he makes this pseudo-tent thing for himself to get out of the sun, to get a little bit of shade, and it's not really working. It's, it's kind of interesting. As you look at what he's doing, it's, um, it's a moment that Jonah's trying to fix his discomfort by making his own comfort for himself. It's symbolic of, like, I've created this really rough situation but I'm going to try to solve my own problem. I'm going to try to make my own ability to have any kind of comfort, any kind of relief, any kind of peace in my life. And he's making it, and it clearly doesn't work really well. It's not accomplishing the goal that he wants. So we see that God is going to do this really neat thing because what God's going to show us is that we need an outside solution to bring us the real comfort that we desire. And, and God's doing multiple things all at the same time. And as he does this thing in verse 6, one, he's going to bring comfort to Jonah. In a time where he's created his own discomfort, in a time where he's tried to fix his own problems, God is going to bring him some kind of relief in this situation to show him that he loves him in this moment. That even though he's being very foolish in how he's responding, that God still loves him. And the second thing that he's going to do, he's going to teach him a lesson in compassion and what real compassion looks like. So he makes this plant grow out of the ground. I don't know what kind of plant it was. I'm assuming A, it was big, and B, it had big leaves. Because it grew up big enough to where it created shade and it actually relieved Jonah from this thing. And so, and God's doing this twofold thing in the life of Jonah. So, and, and God's always working on the physical side and the spiritual side of our lives, right? We had a physical death and there's a spiritual death. That he saves us from our physical death and then he saves us from our spiritual death. And so something similar is happening in this moment that God is going to relieve the discomfort of the heat physically from him with the shade. But he's also going to relieve the heat spiritually that he has with the anger that he has in this moment by bringing the shade. Because something happens for the first time in this book. And you might miss it if you don't slow down and read it. For the very first time, Jonah is happy. He's glad. It says that he was glad that there was joy in his heart. That there was a, a moment of rejoicing in the life of Jonah. What is he rejoicing over? Where is his joy in? A plant. That's what's happening. Like he is finally like, oh, finally. This is great. I received my plant. All is well with me. 
So what does God do? The next day, so he appoints the plant to grow. Then he appoints a worm to come. And this worm shows up and starts eating on the plant in some way and destroys it in some way. And that plant quickly withers and dies in the heat. And then he appoints this scorching wind. And what's happening is the wind blows across the desert. The desert holds heat. That's just what it does. And so when these east winds would come across the land, it would carry all that heat with it. And there is nothing worse than wind than hot wind. That is the only thing worse than wind. And so he's now no shade in the sun, not having a lot of water, I'm assuming at this point, and now a scorching hot wind comes in and is wiping him out. And what's his response? Just kill me. A little dramatic, but it's where we are. Maybe you are at this place where you're like, just, just in the nightmare. Everything in my life is going wrong. Nothing is working out the way I want it to. Everything seems like a disaster. It would just be better if I was dead. But because of God's great wisdom, he's like, actually, no, that would be the worst thing for you. And so he doesn't do the thing that he's requesting. So what does God do? He engages Jonah again for a second time. Should you really be angry about the plant? Seems like a weird sentence to tell somebody. And Jonah says quickly, yes, I do. Angry enough to die over it. Like, wow, you are really connected with this plant. (laughs) Now, it's also worth noting this. This is the first time that Jonah shows any remorse for a loss of life. I'm just saying. That's the first time that he shows any remorse, and it's for the life of a plant. And the only reason he is is because that plant served him, right? It did something for me. So God's going to use this as a teaching point so he'll understand how upside down his thinking is, how his, his theology is so sideways, it's so ridiculous that his worldview is completely backwards. He's just, God's going to paint a picture. Let me, let's talk about your anger. Let's have a discussion about your anger and what you're doing. His first point is really, did you labor for the plant? Did you dig a hole? Did you put a seed in there? Were you watering the plant? You did nothing in the process. Okay, point number one, good point. Two, did you make it grow? And it's a, great, it's a great statement because the, the truth is none of us have any power to make anything grow. We can't do that. You, you dig a hole, you can put a seed in it, but you can't make the seed grow. I've tried. I can't do it even when it should happen. And it reminds me of what we have in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 6 through 8, when uh, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He's just saying God's in control of all things. You don't have the control that you think you have. God is at work. God is changing hearts and lives, and God grows the crops. And then he says this. It's kind of like this tongue-in-cheek. He's like, 
It was only here for a day, dude. Like, you couldn't have got that attached to it. You didn't have a strong relational bond at this point. You didn't even name the plant, I would assume. Like, there's nothing. Like, how could you get that attached to something so quickly that you didn't even know or have anything to do with? He's like, but yet this plant has caused you such great pain and anguish because of the loss of this little life. And then he says this. Why should I not have pity or compassion on these 120,000 humans, my children, who I created, who I love, that are so lost that they don't understand their left hand from their right hand. And what he's saying in that statement is they've lost their moral compass. They have no idea what's right. They have no idea what's wrong. And then he says, my favorite is the last four words of this book. And also much cattle. Like, we just went sideways here. Like, we're talking about peoples, and now we're talking about cows? Like, why the bovine? Like, what's going on? Meaning, you cared more from, for the plant than you did for all the humans that you've been interacting with. At least think about the cows, man. Like, that's kind of where he's at with this. Like, it's like this almost little dig shot. It's like, how about cows? You like cows? You like plants? Like, I don't know, maybe you don't like cows because they eat plants. I don't know. Maybe that's where you are. And this is the end of the book of Jonah. In scene. No answer. We don't get a response. Jonah doesn't get to answer the question. You're like, what? This feels like Inception. It ends really weird. It ends abruptly. It feels like there's not closure. And that's the point. That is absolutely the point of the book. It's completely intentional. It ends without an answer because God gives the question to Jonah, but he's giving it to us as well. That question is for us also. We need to start thinking about how God has had compassion with the world around him and how God has compassion on the world around him. And so Jonah, like you got this tension here, right? Specifically our enemies and our perceived enemies. As I was walking through this book, I was just, as I studied early on in, in this, I was just like, this reminds me of a parable, a parable that we actually studied when I first got here. This really kind of mirrors the parable of the prodigal son. If you start to look at what's going on in the story, it's almost matching out what's happening and even how it ends. So in the prodigal son story, we have two brothers. Those two brothers represent two kinds of groups of people. The younger represents the one who has turned their back on God and has desired to live for themselves. That they are engaged in sinful, open rebellion against God and they decide, I will not trust God. I will not follow God. I will be in charge of my own life. That's one group. The older brother represents another group of people. It's the religious men and women who think that their righteous deeds and acts and their way of living has earned God's favor and that God owes them something. See, those are the two groups. In our story that we've been going through, we have two main groups of people as well. We have the sailors and the Ninevites that represent ones that are not living for God, living a life for themselves, and rebellion against God and what we would want. 
And then we have the prophet Jonah who thinks that God is only for them because they live a righteous life, which is funny because the Israelites are always turning their back on God. That's what's happening. And in both stories, we see that God loves the lost. He pursues the lost because his love for them is so huge. It also shows that he pursues the religious people in the story as well because he loves them. And he knows that both these groups need him. They're both in desperate need of God for salvation and peace with him. And in both stories... There is this question or statement that God gives, and there's no answer from either side. And the other thing that's good for us to see is that God is teaching us about compassion for others. That's the big, that's the big takeaway, God's great compassion. This is the thing that Jonah could never get his mind around. His worldview about God and what he thought about God had no space to contain a love that could move past the chosen people. That they were so wicked, that they were so evil, that there's no way that God could ever forgive wicked, horrible people. He has forgotten that God forgave them, horrible, wicked people. You go all the way back to the Israelites, he picks a guy named Abram, not connected to God. Nothing to do with God involved in pagan worship. That is where the Israelites ultimately came from. See, Jonah couldn't remember that he needed that same love. He needed that same grace. He needed that same forgiveness. And this is where I want to press on us today. If this is about a question asked to us, we have to ask a question. Who are the Ninevites in your life? Who do you consider like Ninevites? Now, I may say this and say, well, okay, I don't hate people. I don't want people to die. Maybe you do. We should talk. Like, I'd be more than happy to talk if that's where you are. But I think that most people would say that we don't have that same level. But if there's people that think different than us, if there's people that disagree with us, and I would say we are in a, a very weird time in history. It used to be you disagreed, you had a conversation over lunch, and then you went back to work. That's just kind of what you did. And now there's this new thing that we've created where if you disagree with me about anything, you're evil. You're horrible. You're wicked. You're the worst. Like, I don't think that way. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But here's what I want to do. I want to give some examples. And all I want to do is I just want to name some categories. And this is a time where you need to just spend time with God and pay attention to what your first response in your heart is. And just see what that does. So I'm just going to name some groups. I'm just going to say some things. Just some words. Just words. Democrats. I'm going to sit on that one for a second. Those who are laughing? Republicans. 
COVID mask wearers, non-COVID mask wearers, vaccinators, non-vaccinators, those who watch CNN, those that watch Fox, those in the LGBTQ community, those who teach CRT, those that are pro-choice, those that are pro-life. What happens in your heart when I say those things? Does it stir something up? Is there like a, ooh, they'll get theirs someday. If that's where your heart's going, guess who you relate to in the story? You see where this goes? This is why Jesus would say, if you have hate in your heart, if you have lust in your heart, you've already committed those things. That's where the seed starts to grow. This story is also showing that God loves them too. God loves those individuals. He loves them enough to actually say, you're running from God and you're in sin. You need to turn back to God. He doesn't just say, oh, I love them. Do whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. That's not what we get in the story. That's not what's happening. That it is loving to tell someone that they're running off a cliff. It's loving to tell somebody that the lifestyle that you're choosing is leading down a path. Now, here's the thing. You're like, I do that all the time. But you're not loving. There's a way to do this in love where you walk along someone and show them the love of Christ. Show them that there's a God who loves them and pursues them. That you bring the truth, the gospel. And we have to start asking, if one of those groups you don't like, would you hold back the gospel? Would you hold back the truth of salvation for those that would hear do you get to decide who God loves and who God doesn't? Because Jonah tried that and it didn't work. It is unloving to not share the truth of Jesus. It's unloving. And you're like, Simon, I'm not, I'm not Jonah. I don't, God, I'm not, a, I'm not a prophet, Simon. He didn't give me a message. He didn't tell me to go take this message to my enemies. That's just in the story. And I would say, I disagree with you. And all I want to do right now is read some passages. And I just want to let God's word speak. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. Oh, where am I at? In... In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Mark 16, 15, and I'll probably read a little bit more. And then he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes... And is baptized will be saved. Whoever is not believed will be condemned. Acts 1, 8. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Luke 10.2, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And then in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Yes, you have been given a message. And yes, you have been given a call to take that to the world. Much like the city of Nineveh. Who doesn't know its left hand from its right hand. I think the problem that Jonah ran into is he didn't understand why the Ninevites were acting the way they were. They didn't know God. How, how can we expect people that don't know God or, or have the Holy Spirit to act in a holy and righteous way? What, why do we think that the world should act like Christians if they're not Christians? Why do we think this? And we're just dumbfounded when the world acts like the world. We are called to bring the message of truth to a broken and lost world because we love them, because we're to be like God. It, it starts with seeing our lives and understanding God and what He's done. It remembers that the Lord has showed you compassion. Well, what does compassion mean? It literally means to suffer together. The definition that I found this week that I really, really liked was this. It is defined as the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. That is comfort. The Bible uses the word pity at times. But if you even look at the word compassion, it is to have passion for someone. To be passionate about the life of another. That's what's going on. That, that God saw us when we were far and away, that he saw our suffering, that he saw what sin had done, and he said, I will take part in that suffering by having my son take part in that suffering. He would take what you deserved on the cross. He would die for your sins. He would suffer for you. He would die for you. And he gives you righteousness because of his pity, or use the word compassion, whichever one you want to use for you. But that's how he saw us, and that's what he did for us, and that's what he did for Nineveh. Jesus was the most embodied act of compassion of the Lord. And he showed you and I grace and mercy and has called us to be image bearers of the Father. And that's what the sin of Jonah was. He failed to look outside of himself and he failed to show the compassion of the Father and he failed to be an image bearer of God. The question stands today. What will you do with the compassion of that God has put in your heart? Will you be compassionate for others? Will you see them in suffering? Will you pursue them the way that God pursues us? Or will you politely ignore them and let them not hear the truth of the message? Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for this book. Thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us the gospel in it. Thank you for letting us see how we need you so desperately. It doesn't matter where we are. If we're like the religious one of Jonah or if we're like the ones that are running far from you. And we've all run far from you until you've saved us. Lord, give us your compassion. Holy Spirit, fill us with the ability to love the way that only you can love. Let us show the world what it means to love others, to spend time with them, to know that they're lost, but not in a condescending way, but in a way where we would have love, compassion, and pity because they don't know their left hand from their right hand until you open their eyes. Let us be the male men and the male women that bring the truth of the gospel to others. We love you. Lord, where we need to be convicted today, let us be convicted. Where we need to maybe understand who the Ninevites are in our life, that we would understand that you love them just as much as you've loved us. I pray all these things in your name, amen. <laughs>